like I said, I call them your superpowers. And I think you actually have to take an honest inventory about that. And a lot of people can't do that on their own because they feel, they, it kind of feels icky to do that, right? Because you're looking for the things you're gonna brag on. So ask others, you know, ask other people and say, hey, you know, Bob, how would you describe me to others? How would you introduce me without using the word real estate? How would you introduce me at a cocktail party to tell somebody what I do? So solicit so that feedback, do that honest inventory. And if those are not the phrases you want, then you actually need to do a little rebrand. Because if that message is not there, those are walking commercials for you. So Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to talk to Dr. Cindy, the first lady of sales and the author of Sell Yourself. We get to talk today about sales and branding, which is like just firing me up. I know it's Friday. Cindy and I both live in California. It's the end of the day. We should be just wanting to chill, but we're not because we're talking about what we're passionate about, which is sales and branding. And we're going to get right into it today. We're going to talk about how do agents differentiate themselves? How do you make yourself stand out? Maybe you feel a little boring. Maybe you feel like you don't have special sauce, like all these agents who are posting all over the place do. But we're going to talk about how you do have the special sauce. Cindy, take us into it. Dr. Cindy, take us into it. What should a real estate agent do to differentiate themselves in today's market? So the first thing is they've got to get super clear on who they want to be out there because truthfully, everybody should be good at their job as a real estate agent. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Your license, your experience, you have knowledge, you can take them through the transaction. They're not buying the transaction. They're not buying your brokerage. They're buying you and the experience with you and you being sort of their secret decoder ring to this world of real estate. And so the first thing that I would tell real estate agents is to pause and think about who you want to be known as. Because if they're using words like, oh, great guy, great gal, oh, you know, super good communication, it's more than that. It's the impact you're having on these folks. And so once you get clear on that, then you start devising a story around it. And that's when the social media comes in. That's when all those other pieces come in. Don't post just to post. You need to be posting to increase engagement, have a conversation, and invite people in to be a fan. So you talk about it being more than being a good guy. I mean, give us some examples of what more is. So think about your favorite clients. So everybody just kind of think about your most favorite client you've ever had. What made them great? Well, first of all, they weren't, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So that was the first part. They respected what you do. So all those basic things. But there was a connection that you had with them. And if you really unpack the connection, it was trust. That's what it boiled down to. You trusted that they trusted you and everybody had the same goal in mind. So when you start getting to that meat of that wonderful relationship you had, then you start to recognize what really does make you different. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions and I was actually coaching somebody yesterday on this, rapport versus trust. Everybody can have great rapport. That's part of the job is to have great rapport. What you gotta do is cross out of the friend zone into the trust. And that is where I think your special sauce lies, is how did you get there? How did you get them to trust you? Was it that you really are a great listener? Was it that you asked all the right questions in a consultative manner to understand what home they wanted and what, how they were going to use the space? What was it that got you to that trust area is actually your special sauce. And so I would dive into that. So let's create a case study right now on the fly here. So let's say it's the, the person's fairly empathetic and they're a great listener and that's how they build trust. How do they continue to create? Cause there's a lot of great listeners of agents out there. 
So one of the things is you've got to consider how you get people to open up because if you don't have anything to listen to, you're not a great listener. So my suggestion would be think about what questions you're asking to make that person open up to you. What is it about your demeanor that is allowing them, your energy around them, that's allowing them to feel comfortable? And we've all probably been there, right? Where somebody says, God, I feel like I just talked to you all day. I feel like I know you already. That's because they're starting to trust you. So once you get there, that's where you actually get to the meat of what their needs are going to be. But you've got to be a good inquisitive person so that you'll have something to listen to. Because if you're asking closed-ended questions, yeah, I want three bedrooms. Yeah, I want that. Oh, yeah, I want to get this much for my house. You're not getting anywhere. We all know that. You learn that in like, you know, seventh grade. What you want to get to in this space of the trust and really deepening that relationship with them is you get there faster by showing them that you have the same goal in mind. And that's to reach whatever goal they have. So there's a really good question in that. Tell me a little bit about how you want this to go. What are your goals? What are your dreams? How do you want it to be? And then you build sort of the Barbie dream house with them versus jumping right into the transaction, jumping right into the logistics and the process. And I was coaching a real estate agent this many years ago, but she was working with buyers and literally burning up gas left and right, driving them all over. And she came to me for coaching. One of the first questions I said is, how are you standing out from every other realtor they interviewed? And she goes, well, I ask all these questions. I said, take me through the list of questions. When she started to take me through the list of questions, they were the checklist questions you're supposed to ask. <laughs> So all we did was take that same checklist and make it more consultative, make it more personal. And all of a sudden, then they start telling you stories. They tell you stories about how they're going to use the space. They tell you stories of, oh, my friend has this house and I want that. You're in a whole different ballgame at that point. So what you're describing is is really, really helpful on the sales process, right? It, like you said, it, incre it creates trust. It creates a sense of, of relationship. How do you convey that? process to a new potential customer? So to a new potential customer, the first thing is you've got to be able to say who you are and what you do in a fairly short amount of time. That does sound different than I'm a real estate agent or I do this because the problem is when you say that everybody does that. So there's got to be a little bit of an extra tag in terms of what your specialty is, where, maybe where, you know, a lot of realtors say, oh, I've specialized in the lake area or, oh, I've, you know, been here my whole life. Great. But think about what you're saying and what their response is. If their response is, oh, okay, wrong, wrong pitch. What you want them to say is, tell me more. Oh, how do you do that? So you're inviting them into a dialogue. And that's the biggest piece is unless you've got a way to invite them to a dialogue, they're never going to turn into a customer. So you think about what you're saying to people when you even introduce yourself. And a lot of times it goes back to your personal brand. You're unclear on who you want to be known as. You're unclear on how to say it. Maybe you're not brave enough to give yourself permission to brag a little on yourself. All those things go together to being able to say, hey, I'm this and I'm good at it and I can help you too. So an agent in my team and I got into a conversation the other day. And he wants to door knock to get his business. And I said, you know, more power to you. That's not my thing. It's coming up. It's going to be summer. It's going to be hot, but you want to do it. So we were debating how he should position himself to be known. And he loves bees. So he, he does some farming. He does some bees. And I was like, if, if it were me, I would get dressed up in a bee suit and I would door knock in a bee suit. And because that's going to be like, you're going to be one of one out there as a door knocking B real estate agent. 
did I give him good advice? I mean, other than him possibly having heat stroke, right? Like how crazy should people get with their brands? You know, if it's authentic to him, I speak more power to him too. Like if he could do that, I mean, if I do that, I think I'd be ridiculous because it's not on brand for me, but if it's yeah. him, absolutely. And I think that's the key is you gave him really good advice, Matt, which is be memorable, stand out from everybody else door knocking and all the plumbers and all the contractors and all the house painters that are going to be door knocking this summer too. Be the guy. And so I think that's right? really kind of hysterical and I think it's fun. But I would say that's marketing branding. He's got to get clear on who he is when he starts to have that conversation as well. So the goal is they open the door because there's a giant bee standing out front. <laughs> then what does he say to differentiate themselves so they actually want to sit on the porch with him and have a conversation? So I, mean, I love yeah. it. I think it's fun. So, okay, so let's craft a message for him, right? And so we could say, you know, if you're out there listening and you're a real estate agent, maybe you don't love bees, but maybe you have some other hobby where you could dress up like, like maybe you're a pilot and you wear like a Top Gun outfit or whatever. So he shows up. How does he craft a message that aligns with that persona? So the first thing, it goes back to sort of his brand of who he wants them to remember him by. So he wants to be the guy would be the easiest one that would come into my mind, right? Like I want to be, yeah, okay. be your resource. I want to be your realtor, whatever. So if he, if he kind of circles it around that, the next thing is how does he engage them into a conversation around how he's going to be a real estate agent for them to list their house, right? Because that's what he's doing. He's door knocking, he's listening and buying. So the first thing is know those words you want to use. Number one, if you go to this door and they say, I'm not interested, how are you going to be the guy, be the guy, put your foot in the door and make them want to stay there for another 10 seconds? So that's the first mm -hmm. thing is I'd actually kind of go backwards. Start with what objection you're going to hit and go backwards. Because if you do that, then you're going to start landing on the parts that are really what I call your superpowers that are going to make somebody want to sit and talk to you. So go back to that same favorite customer. How did you engage them? How did you get them into a conversation to begin with? Were they a referral? Okay, great. They were a referral. So you got a little closer to the trust area first, but you still had to win them over. So what did you do? What questions did you ask? And honestly, if he's dressed as a giant bee, I would tell him if he's funny and he can pull it off, make a joke about it. Like that's the first thing because it's going to disarm someone. So I say figure that out and then go into that story of, hey, you got other stuff to do. You want to shut the door in my face, but can you be, you know, with me for a couple of minutes? Ooh, I love it. Yeah. And, and because the outfit is outlandish to begin with, the personality then has to match for there to be brand consistency. Would that be accurate? Yeah, if you're going to dress like a giant bee, you better have some swagger at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's help the person that truly feels boring. Because one of the companies that I have with my, my co-partner is we run short video content for a lot of people through in an interview process. And one of the biggest objections they tell us is, hey, I just don't have anything interesting. Now we're able to find some stuff, but what's your process to help people that go like, there's nothing different about me? So, like I said, I call them your superpowers, and I think you actually have to take an honest yeah. inventory about that, and a lot of people can't do that on their own because they feel yeah. – like, it kind of feels icky to do that, right, because you're looking for the things yeah. you're going to brag on. So ask others. You know, ask other people and say, hey, you know, Bob, how would you describe me to others? How would you introduce me without using the words real estate agent? How would you introduce me at a cocktail party to tell somebody what I do? So solicit that feedback. Do that honest inventory. And if those are not the phrases you want – then you actually need to do a little rebrand 
because if that message isn't out there, those are walking commercials for you. So first of all, let's make sure it's right for your sphere of influence. But then the next piece is then you sort of go a little bit deeper with that in terms of why does it make you unique? Yeah, you're good at your job. Yeah, you're a good listener. Yeah, you're a good talker. You ask good questions. Why? Well, at the end of the day, because their goal is your goal. You really care about what happens. You want them to have that amazing life with their family and raise their kids in that backyard and come back and tell you stories about it. You know, those are those pieces that really are genuine. And I would also say, and I'm sure you've run into this with video content, it doesn't have to be slick. It doesn't have to be this, you know, amazing, perfectly quaffed conversation. In fact, the more real it is, the better it is. And 100%. I think it's got to be your authentic self. So if you're that guy in a, you know, blue t-shirt and you're going to sit and, you know, stand in your garage every day and tell people some cool stuff, go do it. Be you. This is so true. I mean, videos and titles that have misspellings often perform better than the ones that don't iPhone videos generally perform better than high quality camera videos. I I've had the privilege of going to some events. And one of the events I was at, I was talking to the guy who runs content media for guys like Grant Cardone, Jordan Peterson, those types of people. He was telling me the story about how he did a video for one of those guys. I won't mention the name and they did a misspelling and that person reached out to them and said, Hey, look, like you do this again, you're fired. And he said, yeah, but look, this one got 4 million views. Like, you know, there, there's, there's some magic to like raw, like, like doing things incorrectly shows that it's real, which real is really important. It feels like at least the analytics seem to suggest that. And it's also, it shows that you're human because let's face it. Social media is not social media anymore. It's just media at this point. Like it's real. it's, that's all it is. So we all know that it's everybody's highlight reel. <laughs> so you're not going to put anything out there. That's not that. But at the end of the day, we're still humans looking for human connection. And when there's a misspelling, when there's something, it's like, oh, God, okay, they're not perfect. Fantastic. You know, it's, it's like you feel a better connection to them. And, and I'll tell you a personal story around this. So I do a, a walk to work with Dr. Cindy every Wednesday. And it is literally me walking with my dog, either to the office or, you know, around the block, whatever it is. And I do it every Wednesday. And those perform, outperform every produced you know, with B-roll, with, you know, theme music. It's it's literally on my phone with my dog walking around and whatever popped in my head on Wednesday morning. <laughs> Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. 
If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. And now you do this every week. Is it really easy for you to have content to talk about every week or what's your content strategy on that? You know what? That's a good question. So many ideas pop in my head and it's usually just what's going on. I take a lot from the coaching that I'm doing with clients or workshops I have coming up or themes that I see, you know, that keep kind of popping up their heads. But that's what I'd also say for, for your listeners is, you know, if you feel like you don't have anything to say, you actually do. You just have to look for it. You have to look for the opportunity and what's in front of you. And you have more to say than you think. You just kind of get in your own way, most likely, because you're sitting here going, okay, well, I have to say something that's completely different than anybody on the planet has ever said before. Okay, somebody needs to show me an exact piece of brand new information. There isn't any. There isn't. We've all said it. There's just repackaging of it. So find a way to connect with your own audience in your way. And you'd be surprised. I mean, some of the time I'm even saying quotes from other people or something I watched on YouTube. You never know. But it's, again, it's a real conversation with real people. I'm always fascinated by the journey that we have, like in things like developing software, or writing books, because there's like a process that you have to go to go through. So obviously you learn the content and then you write the book, but what did you learn in the process of writing the book, Sell Yourself? Oh, uh, I learned a lot because this was my second book. So I actually learned a lot from the first book and what to do, what not to do. But I write books via post-it note. So literally, I have a giant wall in my office where I pop a bunch of ideas on post-it notes. There's a, another post-it note wall started over here. And then when I have the wall full, I start rearranging things. And one of the things that I learned is it's never going to be finished. This book could have been volumes, truly. And that was one of the biggest lessons was I needed to call it down so that it was bite-sized chunks. You know, it's sort of a bite snack or a meal. And I was trying to make it Thanksgiving. <laughs> and the more I edited down and the more I edited out, the better the message got, in my opinion, because it was easier for people to take and go, okay, I like this piece. I'll take this. I want to do this exercise, kind of a workshop in a book. So I want, it, I want people to understand this. So this is the exercise they can do about it. And the more that I edited myself, I think that that was the biggest lesson was say it simple. What were one or two top things that got cut, but still you think are incredibly valuable? So funny enough, the editor didn't cut a lot. It was me that cut it. And it was mainly stories. I love to tell stories. I love, I think they're good examples, but you know, they take up a lot of pages. So it was mostly stories and additional examples that I pulled back on. Give me, give me your, your, the one, the first one that comes to mind. So the first one that comes to mind um, was actually one that ended up making it in the book, but I pulled it. And yeah. it was about me. It's partially why I wrote the book. And it was sort of vulnerable and open in terms of some feedback that I had gotten about my own brand. And I pulled it because I didn't want the book to be about me. I wanted people to see themselves in it. That story, funny enough, Matt, is the one that people come up to me and go, I can totally relate. I can totally relate. Mm. And I'm glad I put it back in. But it was a succinct story, page and a half. <laughs> so it was an easy one to, to pop back in there. Awesome. What led you to be passionate about branding and sales? Like what, what point in your life what, did it click for you? I 
know exactly the moment. So I was pushed into sales. So funny enough, I know we're talking to a bunch of salespeople today, but I never wanted to be in sales. I thought it was icky. I thought it was pushy. I thought it was manipulative. I thought you had to be fast talking and slick and all those things. I got put into a sales role and I honestly thought I was going to get fired. I'm like, I'm going to get fired. I'm never going to be able to do this job. Six months in, I realized I'd been selling my whole life. I just didn't call it sales. And I went, why didn't anybody teach me this? <laughs> and it was literally that moment where I realized sales is not just a business skill. It's a life skill. And yep. it should be, in high, I mean, it literally should be a class in high school, in my opinion. And hundred percent. I thought, okay, I was a former college professor. I'm like, I need to tell people this. Why didn't anybody tell me? I have a PhD in communication and I didn't learn this. I need to help people. And so that's what led to the first book. And then that book led to this one because the first book I wrote a bonus chapter on personal branding. And so many people were asking me, they're like, gosh, you know, I, I didn't think about that I have a personal brand. I'm like, oh, you do. You might be the only one that doesn't know it. And so I really yeah. wanted to be able to help people, especially over the last few years with the changes in the world at the time of this recording, you know, we had the great resignation and the great remorse, the great reset. I think this is the great rebrand. So I wanted to help people do that. Yeah. Awesome. So talk me through your sales journey. Like what type of sales role was it? So I was selling training services mainly. So a corporate training yeah. stuff. And yeah. And were you, was it like B2B? You were on the phones? Like what was the method of sales? Yeah. Mainly on a phone or at a conference, something like that. So very, very, um, you know, here is your target list. Go get them. <laughs> yeah. And so you had this kind of epiphany, like, okay, I've been doing this my whole life. How did that specifically change your sales process? I was trying to fit myself into the sales gurus that I saw in the yeah. company. I was trying to find a way to be them, but still be my authentic self. And I was the only woman on the sales team, which doesn't matter other than I couldn't tell the same funny jokes. It didn't, it didn't land yeah. the same. Like the stories didn't land the same. I didn't have the bro code. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? And, and they were such amazing guys that I worked with and so awesome and supportive. And they're like, girl, you got this. Like, here's the story for you. Like, you can borrow this one and make this one yours. And, oh, just tell this example. And once I got into that groove, I started realizing I like helping people. And that's all I'm actually yeah. doing here is helping people. So I had to find my own sort of cadence around that of like, okay, I'm going to help you or not. And I'm not going to push anything on you you don't need. I, I never would in sales or anything else. So once I realized that, it kind of changed the whole process because I went, I have permission to walk away. And that's pretty powerful. 100%. Yeah. And obviously then the commission breath is not there and all these these great things. So how long into your sales journey was it before you started focusing more on the things you're focused on today? So it was a couple of years um, and it was always kind of in the back of my mind, if you will. Like I was sort of rattling around there when I was on airplanes every week and I real estate agents will remember this. I quit my job at the end of 2008, <laughs> started this job. And uh, so here we are all these years later, but I saw such a need in the market and that was really the catalyst. It was like, okay, everybody needs help right now. I need to go help them. And so, and I remember I came home and I told my husband, I'm like, I'm going to quit my job. He's like, you're going to quit your job and help people that don't have any money to pay you. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> yep. That's the plan. Interesting. 
So, so let's talk about that specifically because that is possibly going to be true now, right? Of the changing market with not only agents, but of also of the clients they're trying to serve. So what was your strategy with agents who were having little to no money? So I was trying to give information. So blogs, information, yeah. webinars, whatever I could just to start them thinking differently because part of what I feel is the the challenge in any changing market, let's call it, I refuse to call it the other words, you know, the changing market yeah. is you have to see the opportunity in front of you. And I really do believe this is the opportunity to rebrand. I really do believe this is the opportunity to step out from the path. I saw that same opportunity in 2008. And I yeah. wanted to find a way to start giving people the tools to have a different kind of conversation because what was, you know, the old way wasn't working. It, we had to abandon a lot of that. And so I would invite people to think about it the same way right now is the old way doesn't work. Maybe you go back to door knocking and you dress like a bee. I love that. But you've got to find that opportunity in front of you because we're all vying for a piece of a smaller pie. It's still there that we do not live in a world where people will not buy and sell homes like that will always happen. It's that you have to rise to the top of the choices. And so that is your personal brand. That is branding. That is working your network. That is working your centers of influence, making sure every person is a Raven fan. Now you left your job to do this. Like, why did you leave your job? Was, was it just surely opportunity? Was it like, ah, oh, this is kind of, this is my opportunity to get out of here. I, you know, it was a timing thing. I just saw an opportunity at that moment that I knew we wouldn't have for a really long time. And, and here, you know, here it is again. Right. But I felt yeah. like if I didn't do it, then it wasn't, I probably wouldn't be brave enough to do it again, quite frankly, you know? And also that was when the need was the greatest. And I felt like it gave some street cred as well. And I learned this later. It wasn't part of my strategy. I wish I would could say I was smart enough to know this, but a lot of people have come to me and said, God, you know, that was really brave that you were willing to help people even when you knew they couldn't reciprocate immediately. And I was like, I'm a helper. I'm a helpaholic. That's my jam. And so planting those seeds for later as well. But it wasn't, I wish I could say, oh, that was a big strategy of mine. No, I just really felt a need to help people. So you kind of referenced the two recessions as, you know, the key opportunities. Is that is that because when people are in this new pain, it, it creates an opportunity for your brand to seep in deeply? That's part of it. But the other thing is, think about what everybody does when there is a change in the marketplace. They turtle up. They reevaluate. They hold, but yeah. they turtle up most of the time. They, they yep. kind of sink into themselves. This is my football. You can't touch it. They become fearful of change. They're afraid to try something new. If you're brave enough to step outside at this moment, that's the shakeup. That's that opportunity. Yeah. And I, that's what I encourage my clients to be doing right now. I mean, I really believe right now is a time for leaders to be born. This is, this is your chance. And so you've got to step out there because you're not going to have this chance for another 10, 12 years in the market cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and business leaders will say it all the time. I mean, this is a chance to also grab a lot of market share as everybody as contracting, like you're saying, they're turtling up. There's a lot of market share to be grabbed. I wrote an article in September of last year. So, you know, September of 2022 
And it was funny because I began the article by saying, if you are surprised by the market changes, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> we know this. It's a cyclical economy. What goes up must come down. And so, you know, if you're late in the planning stages, and I would say this to anybody who's listening to and watching this, even if you haven't reevaluated and replanned, do it now. It's okay. You're a little late, but you still, there's still market share to be had. Stop giving yourself that path that, oh, I'll just wait out the storm. No, be the storm. Go make the disruption. Stand out from everybody else. Don't let them just kind of ride that wave behind you. Go get it. Yeah. Where, where do you see yourself going? I mean, obviously we're getting ready for this next market cycle, but, but where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? So I'm doing a lot more keynote speaking um, with the books, which is so fun. I love getting in front of a, a group and helping them and touching lives. That's one of my favorite things. There, you know, probably another book in there somewhere. Um, we launched an online academy last year to help people have access to our workshops for, um, you know, more affordable cost, those that can't bring us in. So more of those, we're launching more courses, we're lots more, but it's all centered around helping people to shorten their sales cycle, grow their business, make more money, and quite frankly, have more fun in the process. So you mentioned the word shortened sales cycle. When I think of brand, I don't think of shortening sales cycles, right? Branding's like a long play. How, how do branding and shortening sales cycles go together? So it, it goes back to that trust factor that I mentioned. So you've got to have trust in a brand for somebody to want to buy you. And so if you don't recognize that, you don't know how to build trust, you don't know really what your superpowers are that you bring to the table, it's harder for you to sell yourself. And I think we sell ourselves short because we don't have a good brand plan. There is an assumption that I see this all the time with real estate agents, with lenders, with bankers, with title companies, you name it. But they think their service speaks for itself. Everybody knows I'm a realtor. They know I do a good job. They know that I'm honest and hardworking. Duh. <laughs> like, that's not enough. You have to be that proactive person getting out there telling that story and inviting others to tell it too. And that's the biggest, like, sort of mistake in, in terms of people with shortening their sales cycle is your job is to get people to trust you faster. The more people that are talking about you, the more there's recognition, the more there's trust because you have advocates that are already saying, well, I trust Matt. Oh, well, I trust so-and-so. So get those people talking. Get that trust out there. It's going to shorten your sales cycle, make you more money, and also meet a bunch more new people that are super fun. So kind of the quick bullet point list of ways to get people talking. One, obviously be memorable. Uh, two is to have one of the things about being memorable is having concise statements about who you are, what you do, et cetera, doing a great job. What are maybe some others, other ways to get people talking about you? So one of my favorites is sort of how you behave after the fact. And so the five-step sales process I teach is have a plan, look for the right opportunities, establish trust by listening, ask for the business, ask for what you want. And then the follow-up is the last piece. And it's follow-up with gratitude. Whether the answer was yes, no, or the dreaded maybe, there's a follow-up piece there. And it's the way you make them feel when they walk away. And I've had people say, God, you keep in touch with everybody. And it's like, I don't. It's physically impossible. But I sure do try. Because it's not their job to remember you. It's your job that they remember you. And so what are you doing to make that part of your sales process? What are you doing to make that your cadence and part of your brand? You know, I am still in touch with people that I went to grad school with. I'm still in touch with professors 
because I'm so grateful for what I learned. And so I follow up and, you know, it's not like a 50 minute conversation every month, but there are ways to follow up with folks. And I think that's another thing that people can do to stay memorable is you've got a network out there already. Are you trying to stay in front of them in some way? And I'm not, I'm not knocking this, but I'm not saying your quarterly newsletter. Everybody knows you send that to everybody in your database. What is that personal touch that something, even if it's text on my birthday, something that shows me that I am top of mind for you, that makes you top of mind for me? Love it. Dr. Cindy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. Um, for those of you out there listening, there's so many nuggets here from the branding to the sales to shortening the cycle and beyond. So write down something you learned, grab our book, sell yourself. And share this with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. This freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 